Merry Christmas. So this morning, as you heard in the passage, we are introduced to uh, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. We got a preview of John's ministry in last week's passage in the uh, prologue. After introducing us to the person, the the author, John, um, calls the word in the opening verses of that prologue and testifying that this word brought us life and light, and this light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not extinguish it. The author writes in verses 6 through 8, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Then right after that prologue, the first 18 verses, John comes on the scene to, to flesh out what we just heard about him in verses 6 through 8. And he comes as a witness to the light of the word made flesh, the light of the world, the word made flesh, Christ Jesus. But before John the Baptist gets even one syllable out to bear witness to Christ, the religious leaders come along and he finds himself in a bit of a squabble with them. I hate it when that happens. Verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him again, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? So whatever John was doing and saying has gotten back to the religious leaders, and they are at best puzzled, at worst ticked off. It's hard to tell just yet. They asked John who he is, and he seems to know where this is headed, so he freely confesses, I'll tell you what, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. But that's not enough for these leaders. So they ask him two more questions, the answer to which is no for both of them. Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Why are they asking these things? The religious leaders are likely concerned with John's baptism practices. Who is this guy and why is he baptizing people? There's some indication in the text itself that these leaders understood that baptizing people was something that the Messiah was supposed to do or might do, so they came asking questions. And each of these questions they ask has has a deeper question, a deeper longing behind it and running underneath it. So, for example, what is the longing behind the question of whether or not John is the Messiah? Well, the people of God are still under foreign rule. They are occupied by Rome. So what they want is for God to keep his promise to send them a king like David who will sit on David's throne forever. They want control of their own land and a functioning government. They want political power returned to them once again. They want justice. This is what Messiah means to them. They ask if John is Elijah because Elijah, if you remember, did not die in the Old Testament. He was carried off to the heavens in a fiery chariot. And for this reason, many of God's people had begun to believe that perhaps Elijah never died and that one day he would return to announce the coming of the Messiah. And in fact, after prophesying the coming day of judgment, God promises the return of Elijah through the prophet Malachi, chapter 4, verse 5. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. But what is the longing beneath their question about Elijah? Well, Elijah is one of these towering figures in the Old Testament. Among other things, Elijah raised someone from the dead, the son of the widow from Zarephath. 
whom Elijah had come to know, who was supplying him with, a, uh, with bread to eat from a miraculous batch of oil and, and flour. In addition, Elijah is the one who called down fire from God to consume the sacrifices in a duel between him and the prophets of the false god Baal. Why were the people interested in Elijah? Because not only would he be a forerunner for the Messiah, but he will bring with him provision, bread, life, and God's miraculous power. And this is what they want to see. Next, these leaders ask about the prophet, because in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 to 18, Moses promises that one day God will send them a prophet like him, Moses. And then in Acts chapter 3, verse 32, or verse 22, the apostle Peter makes the declaration very clear that Jesus, the Messiah, is the prophet like Moses, the one that Moses talked about. When asked if he was the prophet again, John the Baptist says, nope, not me. But what is the longing behind their question about Moses? Again, Moses, like Elijah, is a towering figure in the Old Testament. Through Moses, after all, the enslaved people of God were led out of Egypt through the Exodus. And in, John's, in John the Baptist's day, people still long for liberation from foreign occupying armies and governments, only now it's the Romans, it's not the Egyptians. Through Moses also, God gave them the law. God taught them what was expected of them so that they could ma- maintain a relationship with him. And so these three questions asked by these religious leaders conceal a deep longing for power and control and justice and safety and deliverance and God's provision and healing and new life and for God to speak to them to make himself known once more because it probably fell to them at times that God was no longer speaking. And if we think about these longings, these deep desires are not all that different from the desires that we as human beings can have today. For example, do you know anyone who longs for healing, who longs for God's provision, for miracles, or for life today? Do you know anyone who needs a word from God or liberation from oppression or sin? Do you know anyone who thinks that the answer to all our problems is who gets in the White House and whether we control the House and the Senate? You know, rightly or wrongly, what people wanted then is not all that different than what people want now. No, John the Baptist says, I am not the Messiah, I am not Elijah, I am not the prophet like Moses. I have not come to bring you all these things. Verse 22 again. Finally they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah, the prophet. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. These words come from a section in the book of Isaiah announcing to God's people that their exile is almost over. And so we find ourselves back in this theme of exile once more. Once again, this is a reminder, while the exile was technically over in 539 B.C., nearly 570 years before John the Baptist, even upon their return to the land, they still felt very much as if they were in exile. They remained an occupied territory. And as we've said a few times over the last few weeks, all of humanity was and is in a different kind of exile because of our sin, our rebellion against God, or our ignorance. We are not in fellowship with Him. We have 
perhaps chosen not to be aware of God or not to be in submission to God, so we are in exile. To God's people who were physically in exile, to us who may be spiritually exiled, God announces through the prophet Isaiah that he is about to begin a new phase in his history with his people. Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service, her exile, has been completed that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all our sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. John has come to prepare the way of the Lord. More to the point, John has come to prepare the way for the Messiah. Many years ago, unfortunately, I had the opportunity to ride in an ambulance with my son who was being taken to the hospital. It was a a different experience to be inside of an ambulance and to watch the cars parting before us like the, the Red Sea before Moses. They parted because of the siren and the flashing lights. It was a bit surreal. I remember feeling a strong sense of gratitude that the drivers in these cars would respect the authority of the ambulance and the calling of the drivers and make way for us to get to the ER. John sees himself as the siren that announces the Messiah. He is the siren that announces the Messiah. His intent is to make some noise and clear the way for the coming of the Lord, to make a straight, smooth highway in the desert for God. He's saying to them, look, no. Oh, hey, Kenton, I just saw you. Good to see you. He says, I'm not the guy you think I am. I'm not the Messiah you're looking for. But stay tuned, he's on his way. John's ministry is a promise that God is about to move and that humanity needs to make a way. John the Baptist has identified himself with this voice calling out in the wilderness. The the wilderness is the place in in ancient Israel where they found themselves as they fled Egypt in the Exodus. It's the place they found themselves when they were taken into exile and when they returned. The wilderness is where we find ourselves, when we are left to our own devices, when we turn from God or are simply ignorant of God's love and presence. Or when we who follow Jesus hit a rough patch in life and we feel perhaps that God no longer hears us or answers our prayers, or is no longer present to us. The ancients called this the dark night of the soul, when you just don't think God is there anymore or listening to you or anything. It's the wilderness. And when we are in the wilderness, two things are true. Two things are true. One, God can and does work mightily in the wilderness. God can and does work mightily in the wilderness. The wilderness can be a place of hope. And two, eventually, we need a way out. God can and does work mightily in the wilderness. It can be a place of hope, and eventually we need a way out. John the Baptist invites the people into the wilderness again to meet with God. And I can say that I have had a few, a handful maybe, of these experiences in my life of, of, of wilderness. 
And every single one of them was challenging and painful. And in every single one of them, God met me in a powerful way, more than once. When we are in the wilderness, we want a way out, and that's okay. But we should also know there's room for hope, even there. God can meet us there. So next, we find out that there were Pharisees traveling with the priests. Everybody's getting in on the action, but they're not listening too well. Verse 24, Now the Pharisees who had been sent <clears throat> questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Have you ever been in an intense argument with someone where you got so caught up in what you were going to say next, how you were going to make your case, that you didn't hear what the person was saying? <clears throat> it's almost as if these leaders were so keyed in on their own agenda that they missed the importance of what John was saying. I am preparing the way for the Lord to come to you. Never mind that, they seem to say. Why are you baptizing people? What gives you the right? John might have replied, that's your takeaway from all this? The Lord is coming and you're worried about baptisms? Seems to me the, the real question the Pharisees should have asked was not, why are you baptizing people, but <clears throat> what do we need to do? How do we need to prepare? But John doesn't answer their questions, does he? He just keeps steering back to his main point. He's, he's got a one-track mind, and it's all about Jesus. Verse 26, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Verse 28 tells us that John was baptizing on the other side of the Jordan. Just to be clear, the other side of the Jordan means not this side, but the other side. That is the wilderness. The wilderness. This is where the people of God were in Joshua 3, just before they began to cross over into the promised land. In essence, what John the Baptist is doing here in John chapter 1 is calling Israel to reenact their history with God. At least one well-respected scholar that I consulted, Raymond Brown, thinks that John was not baptizing people the way we often think of baptism. Rather, he was literally just having them stand on this side, now walk through the river to the other side. Why? He wants them to reenact their history with God. He wants them to do this as a symbolic act of repentance. Israel had wandered from God's law and God's intention, and if God was going to send them aside, they needed to repent of their sin and prepare the way for the Lord. <clears throat> So maybe John the Baptist is calling on them to re-enter the promised land, to re-embrace the covenant that God had made with them long ago. And when John baptizes Jesus, Jesus then goes through the Jordan River from the other side to this side. He re-enters the promised land on behalf of all the people of Israel and on our behalf as well. For many of us, the last couple of years globally have felt like the wilderness, certainly in ECC and other many churches that have gone through difficulties in the past few years, it's also been a kind of wilderness. 
Many of us need to remember God's history with us too. We too must re-enter the promised land sometimes. But again, the wilderness is also a place of hope. It's a place of hope. It's a place where God can meet us. In the past few months, I have had a growing sense in prayer that we who call ECC home are on our way out of the wilderness. God is meeting with us, and we are entering into a, a new season of mission and vitality as a congregation. Jesus wants to come to us in a new way in 2022 and beyond. And on this last Sunday of 2021, Jesus and John the Baptist ask us to prepare the way for the Lord. How will you prepare the way for the Lord? How will we prepare the way for the Lord as a community of believers? Could we join together and pray that God's will and God's way will become clear to us in the months to come? Or perhaps a better way to say it, can we pray that we will have greater trust that God is leading us into whatever comes next? I encourage you to watch for a new emphasis on prayer in the weeks ahead. These religious leaders have come asking questions about John's identity. John has denied being the Messiah or the Elijah to come or that he is the prophet like Moses. And he has identified himself with this voice that is crying out in the wilderness to make a way for the Lord. But he still has a bit more to say. He still has an ace up his sleeve. For while he has told them who he is not and who he is, in the grand scheme of things, there is another answer yet to come, a better answer, the truth. Verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The three questions asked by the religious leaders did not get at the truth, so John speaks the truth for them. And the truth is the answer to all their longing and to ours. You see, there is more to the coming of Christ at Christmas than eight-pound, six-ounce newborn baby Jesus. Don't even know a word yet, just a little infant so cuddly but still omnipotent in his gold fleece diapers. He grew up and he gave himself for us. Jesus is the lamb who will take away the sin of the world. Jesus is the lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. Do you long for power to control things, friends? Do you long for power to make things come out the way you want them to come out. The Lamb of God is our Messiah. Yes, He is a king like David. He sits on David's throne, but He does not use His power the way David used His power. He gives it up. He sacrifices Himself. He empties Himself and takes on the form of a human being, as Philippians 2 tells us, even to the point of death on a cross. 
He becomes the ultimate Passover lamb whose blood was spread on the doorposts of the people of Israel to protect them from God's judgment on Egypt. The power of the Lamb of God is self-sacrifice and servanthood, not domination, not control, not political power, not coercion. But the power to love, even die for, his enemies. Do you long for life and the miraculous? Yes, Elijah brought life and the miracle of raising someone from the dead. But Jesus is the one who brings us true resurrection life. He is our Emmanuel, God with us. He will bring us not just life eternal, but life abundant and full, filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, now too. Do you long for a word from God, for liberation and freedom, for for clarity in what God wants? Someone like Moses to lead us to a better place, to a promised land. Jesus is the one who liberates us from all that enslaves us. He is the one who sets us free from the power of sin and the grave. Behold the Lamb. Once again, I invite you to more intentionally dive into this series in the Gospel of John that we might all better come to know and love Jesus, the Lamb of God, in all the ways He has served us and saved us. So, If you haven't already, sign up for the daily scripture emails. There is a link in the Bible app live event, or you can email us at ecc at at ecclife.net, and we will sign you up. I cannot emphasize enough. I don't think the Bible is magical, friends. I think the Bible is the Word of God. I think it's authoritative. And I believe that when we read the Bible in partnership with the Holy Spirit, things are revealed to us, and we grow, and we understand and we experience God in new ways. So maybe you're not going to walk through John with us in quite this way. Maybe you have another way that you're reading. Great. But if not, I encourage you to sign up for these emails. Let's spend some time in the first part of this new year reacquainting ourselves with Jesus and the power and the liberation and the freedom and the life and the love that he brings us as God with us. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, creator of everything in heaven and on earth, I pray that out of your glorious riches you may strengthen us with power through your Spirit in our inner beings so that Christ may truly dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all your holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all your fullness, O God. And now to you who are able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to your power that is at work within us, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.